I am Gautam Kumra, Chairman of McKinsey Asia, and you are listening to the Future of Asia podcast series. The Asian century has begun. The region is now the world's largest economy. As Asia's economies evolve further, the region has the potential to fuel and shape the next normal. In each episode, we are going to feature conversations with leaders from across the region to discuss what Asia's rise means for businesses across the globe. Join us. The pandemic, amongst other changes to the modus operandi of CEOs in the 21st century, has necessitated a redefinition of the role of the modern CEO. Today, we'll look at how the role has changed and what it takes to be an excellent CEO in today's environment. Joining me on the podcast today are Caroline Dewar, a senior partner in a San Francisco office, and Vic Malotra, managing partner of the Americas. They are co-authors of CEO Excellence, the six mindsets that distinguish the best from the rest. And together they have over half a century's worth of experience transforming corporate strategy and driving leadership change. Thanks for joining me today. Vic, uh, can you tell us about the book and the methodology you used to collect the insights? The book came about because we really wanted to determine what makes for truly excellent CEOs. Are there some defining characteristics? Are there some defining attributes that really stand out that other aspiring CEO candidates and other aspiring leaders around the world might learn from? We had to support this, a body of research that we've done, uh, looking at thousands of CEOs over time. But we wanted to importantly supplement this body of research with some powerful interviews. And so we set out to interview a series of CEOs that could give us additional insights, perspectives, and importantly, stories about things that they had done themselves that had brought some of the best attributes of CEOs to life. So we looked globally at all the CEOs that had been active during this century, call it the last 20 to 25 years or so. That's roughly 4,500 CEOs. We then said we wanted CEOs who had been in tenure for at least six years. So we had a real record to judge against. And we also looked at CEOs who had been largely top quintile, sometimes second quintile performers in terms of shareholder returns over that period. We did make a few adjustments, but this quickly got us down to a group of 200 CEOs from 4,500 CEOs. And we reached out to several of these 200 CEOs, and fortunately, 67 of these exceptional CEOs agreed to be interviewed for this book. And so what you find in the book is a lot of the McKinsey research on what makes for excellent CEOs, but very much supplemented by the learnings and the stories from these exceptional 67 CEOs that we interviewed for this book. How has the corporate landscape changed during the 21st century? What does that look like in Asia? It is incredibly clear that globally, corporations are playing a bigger and bigger role in the economies. It's true with large corporations, and it's true with small businesses. Corporations and small businesses are increasingly the engines of the economies. Uh, They account for 72% of GDP 
in the OECD companies and increasingly so in other emerging economies as well. Their importance is clear. They are undoubtedly central to our economies. They're incredibly important to growth going forward. They're incredibly important to sustainable, inclusive growth going forward. So the corporations as a party are just incredibly relevant and increasingly more relevant as the world evolves. They're also very, very important when it comes to things like advancements in technological enablement. Uh, they're, they're They're the heart and soul of investments that are occurring in technology. They also lead the world when it comes to pushes on productivity, enhancing how we as individuals, companies, and countries can be more productive and therefore help society grow in a sustainable, inclusive way. So the contributions that they make from a technology point of view and a productivity point of view are critical as well. And then finally, I would just say that corporate leaders globally in a world which is increasingly more divisive are being seen as important voices around topics like purpose, around topics like social good, around topics that broaden beyond just simple corporate returns. And that's an important role that corporations of all sizes are playing in, 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 our, in our economies and in our society today. Yeah. I guess the only, only a build, and maybe it evolves into the next question, but the corporate leaders and the CEOs are being put in an incredibly important position, right, given the potential impact of the companies that they lead. And that goes across stakeholders. So to Vic's point, right, CEOs now of the the Forbes 2000 CEOs, 70 million employees report to them, right? They operate in almost every country in the world. They affect the communities that they operate in. So I think as CEOs or leaders specifically, they're increasingly aware of the impact of their decisions. And they're feeling both the responsibility of that and the scrutiny of making sure that their decisions factor in all of the stakeholders that they impact day to day. How is the role of CEO evolving and why? Well, maybe we should start first with what is the role anyway, right? And then we can talk about how it's evolving. I think many elements of the role are enduring, right? And as we looked across the 67 CEOs, even across geography and industry and ownership structure, there were six elements that stood out that were consistent for all CEOs, right? They have to set the direction of their organization, manage the organization itself and its effectiveness, get their team right and the operating model from the top. They have to engage with their board, the external stakeholders, and manage their own time and energy. And as we looked across those six responsibilities, a couple of things really stood out, right? The first is across those responsibilities, they are the ultimate integrator. And this goes a little bit to the point of why is the CEO role so unique and so demanding? But I think Satya Nadella gave us the quote of, the reason it's so lonely is an information asymmetry problem. No one else sees everything that you see, all of those six things. And the role of the CEO really is to integrate across those, recognize the interdependencies, and make sure that the sum is greater than the parts. And then within each of these six, The big insight we had was it wasn't so much all the individual behaviors that this CEO did it one way, someone else did it another. There were some prevailing mindsets that the truly excellent CEOs had. And there was a unique mindset on how they thought about their role 
in each of these six arenas that really set them apart and guided their behavior. We can go through those mindsets, but even this notion that how you think matters as much as what you do, I think was really striking to us. I think if you look back over time, uh, many of the elements, as Carolyn said, sorry, many of the attributes and CEO excellence that we discovered are enduring and timeless. However, there are two things in my mind that have absolutely changed for the CEO of today relative to the CEO of yesteryear. The first is the pace of change. Uh, the pace of change is faster today than it's ever been, and it's only increasing. And whether that's technological disruption, regulatory change, social change, changing needs of consumers, you know, the list goes on and on. The pace of change is just accelerating, and therefore, CEO's ability and need to actually move much more quickly, make decisions faster, has gone up dramatically relative to history. The second thing that has changed dramatically is the demands on a CEO externally relative to their role historically. CEOs today, excellent CEOs today, are spending more and more time externally with stakeholders. Again, these stakeholders run from the customers to regulators to trade unions to social causes, uh, you know, you name it, they are spending more and more time externally. And therefore, their bandwidth has had to increase dramatically in terms of what they do internally, as well as what they do externally. So, you know, I think some, a couple of big areas where there's some real differences relative to yesteryear. For years, observers have talked about Asia's massive future potential. But the future arrived even faster than expected. The question is no longer how quickly Asia will rise, it is how Asia will lead. Keep listening to the Future of Asia podcast. Given that context, what does CEO excellence mean today? Carolyn talked about the six elements of CEO excellence and the six different things that CEOs are required to do today. In many ways, it's like spinning six plates all at one time. One of the analogies that we often use is excellent CEOs today are not just good at one thing. They're not just the Michael Jordan in basketball or the Serena Williams in tennis. They really equate to the very best decathletes we've ever seen in the world, where they can actually be really world-class in multiple disciplines uh, in terms of what, how, what they do and how they perform. And so this ability to actually manage and balance lots and lots of different things, manage and balance setting the direction, manage and balance organizational effectiveness, engaging with the board, their personal energy, their connection with stakeholders, the composition of their team and leading their team. It's kind of their ability to do all of that at once which really does distinguish some of the best from the rest. Thank you, Wick. CEOs in Asia need to focus, in my mind, on five key capability areas to win going forward. First is the whole area of growth. I think everybody is focused on growth coming out of the recovery. The recovery, as we know, has been quite uneven and has thrown up a series of challenges on sustainability and inclusion. I think CEOs need to think about not just organic growth, but also how to do programmatic M&A and how to think about new business building. 
In fact, half of the CEOs that I talk to point to new business building as a top three priority area for them. Second area is of talent. We are going to the world's biggest talent reshuffle. I think it's more important than ever to define a clear value proposition for attracting, retaining, and developing talent. I think one key element is defining a sense of purpose. More than ever, I think employees are seeking a sense of personal meaning in what they do. And I think companies have a very important imperative to define the meaning and the difference they're making in the world. Third is the area of sustainability. I think 80% of the world has announced net zero plans. The world will need to spend over $300 trillion over the next 30 years. This will be an expensive and a tricky transition, and each CEO needs to find their own navigation path. Fourth is the area of technology and digitization. I think Asia is at the forefront. Uh, we have some of the most digitally saving customers. We have super apps being built. Cloud is transforming businesses. CEOs need to be personally savvy and build the digital quotient of their organizations. And finally, to do it all, you need to move at speed. Shortening business cycles, delegation and decision-making, removing silos, and encouraging working models that are akin to digital natives is going to be critical to getting speed. One of the elements that I would call out is the whole bucket of setting the direction of the company. And the mindset that emerged was one of be bold. The very best CEOs are very bold in this notion of setting the direction. And frankly, they spend a disproportionate amount of time on this than others do. So one of the counterintuitive findings was they may spend as much as a third or 40% of their time on the direction of the company, both the big picture direction, but also the operational strategies of the company they spend a disproportionate amount of time on this. And in particular, two things that they do that we found intriguing was they don't just think about what the vision of the company as the next S-curve of the company might be. They really think about reframing the vision in a big, bold way. Uh, so to give you an example, Ajay Banga at MasterCard moved the vision from being beat our competitors to the notion of kill cash, because cash was 92% of the whole market in payments. So he really reframed the vision in terms of what the company ought to do. They also spend a disproportionate amount of time on resource allocation, whether it's capital allocation, expense allocation, talent. They really spend a lot of time in terms of where are our resources going? What are we investing against? And if we disproportionately invest in certain areas over multiple years, that is going to give us a real competitive advantage. So the counterintuitive views here on setting the direction were very much around the amount of time they spend here, the detail they get into, and the energy that they put into the operational strategies and resource allocation in particular. Thank you, Wick. What are your thoughts on this, Carolyn? Another area that really struck us in these interviews with truly excellent CEOs was their mindset and orientation towards the board. The prevailing wisdom is sometimes the board is something to be managed, right? Something you have to bring along, who's there to, to do their duty. And these truly top CEOs had quite a different view. They thought of it as, how do I help the directors help the business? 
right? I need to engage with the board. This is a resource available to me. Jamie Diamond and Hubert Jolie talked about radical transparency with the board, sharing the good and the bad all the way along so that when you do have to come to them with a tough decision or in a crisis, you have that that foundation of knowledge where the board is in, in touch enough with the business, as well as the foundation of trust to be able to really work through hard things. Ivan of Diageo talked a lot about, you know, tapping the wisdom of his board. He said, wow, if you have the right folks on the board, it's this incredible resource of expertise and making sure you have voices on that board that can bring experience with where you want to take the company. It was quite a profoundly different way of thinking about the board and something that really struck us. One of the other areas that uh, we found our excellent CEOs really focus on is aligning the organization. And the key counterintuitive finding here was that they treat the soft stuff, culture, talent, things like that, like the hard stuff. Uh, What do I mean by that? They define what they want to shift from a culture point of view or a talent point of view. They measure it. They put metrics around it. They role model it. They live it. And so very much as we might measure strategy or financial performance, they measure and act very specifically and treat the soft stuff of culture and talent like the hard stuff. Culture is one of my favorite ones. One of the things that they tend to do is they don't try to move the culture of the organization along five or eight or 10 different dimensions. They usually pick one or two things to truly move the company on. Uh, So take Kaz Hirai at Sony. His strategy was geared in this notion of wow factor. And he wanted to bring the wow factor to bear in their products, in their customer experience, in their services. And so, Horizon found ways to measure and really ensure that the company talked about the way that they acted and the way that they behaved. And by doing that time and time again, he really moved the culture of the company towards something that really made a meaningful difference in terms of its overall performance. Another great example is Satya Nadella at Microsoft, who wanted to shift the company from its old mindset to one that was more focused on growth. And so he preached the growth mindset time and time again in the company. He found ways to measure it. He found ways to bring it to life. And that became the rallying cry for Microsoft in his early years. So they tend to move the culture on one dimension at a time. And they do it by measuring the soft stuff very much like you might the hard stuff. One more area where we really were struck by what distinguished the best CEOs is how they thought about their own personal effectiveness. There are limitless pulls on the time and energy of CEOs, and those who've really mastered the role focus in on doing what only they can do, right? And it sounds simple in theory, but difficult in practice. There were two practices that they applied. One is this notion of managing their own energy and that of their organization in a series of sprints, right? It's the CEO role isn't just a sprint because you aspire to be around for a long time. And it can't just be a marathon because frankly, the expectations of early wins and early delivery don't allow for that very, very long pace without results. And so CEOs found ways to manage these bursts of energy, these bursts of performance 
through their day, their month, and their year. And so they looked at their calendar and sat with their assistants and their team to say, what gives me energy? What drains me? And how do I make sure that I schedule out my weeks and my months and my year so that I can keep up the pace, right? I have moments of intensity and then I have to switch gears and I can have something that I find restoring or, or energizing for me and then back into something that's really quite difficult. They have to change channels or sort of compartmentalize in an extraordinary way. They might go from a, a difficult regulatory meeting to walking into a town hall to boost the spirits of 2,000 employees. And so being quite mindful about how you manage those that time was something that they were really deliberate about and, and had mapped it out in many cases for a year in advance. The second piece was more about how they showed up in those moments. Michael Fisher, the CEO of CCH, really coined this term, the to-be list, as being as important as the to-do list. He would look at his schedule for the day and literally write down on the piece of paper, what are the two or three ways of being that will be important for him as a CEO that day? Does he need to be inspiring? Does he need to really push the team and, and make sure that they're, they're delivering? Does he need to be innovative and open to new ideas? He would change those throughout the week. And it's not about being inauthentic. It's about recognizing the extraordinary amplification of how he shows up in the room and being quite thoughtful about the tone he wants to set because that has ripple effects for everyone. Thank you, Carolyn. Well, the corporate landscape in Asia is changing in two, three very fundamental ways. Uh, one, I think, is the real race between the incumbents and the attackers. I think the incumbents are under more pressure than ever to be able to transform their business models and to remain competitive, whereas the attackers are really taking many sources of value away. Second, I think in general, there's a massive productivity imperative. You know, there are only about less than 20% of the companies that are covering the cost of capital. There is a massive need to improve productivity and generate more economic profit. And a lot of the productivity, if you look at markets like Korea and Japan, for example, will come through adopting digital and innovation. And finally, I would say it's the rise of the unicorns. Uh, Asia now represents more than 20% of the world's unicorns. And the pace at which these new companies are getting born and getting skilled is unprecedented. Thanks, Vic and Carolyn, for joining us today. Thank you, Gotham. It's a privilege and honor. Uh, thank you for having us. Thank you so much, Gotham. It's a pleasure to be here. Stay tuned for the next episode. You have been listening to the Future of Asia podcast by McKinsey & Company. To learn more about McKinsey, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com slash futureofasia or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. <laughs>